listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. SexPharmD podcast with your host, Dr. Nadia Archambault, licensed clinical pharmacist and certified sex therapist. With a focus on women's sexual health and wellness, Dr. A is here to cover important health topics and answer all of your questions about subjects that can be applied to pharmacy practice. And now, here's Dr. A. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of SexPharmD. Today, I have two very special guests, Dr. Kyle Wilby. He's an associate professor at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And Kevin Astle is an assistant professor at the University of South Florida in Tampa, Florida. Doctors Wilby and Astle are founding members of Rx Share, a global collective of pharmacists for sexual and gender health advocacy, reform, and equity. They both have extensive teaching and research in the area of sexual and gender health. So I am very, very excited. This is a great topic, much overdue, and will be very, very detrimental to our pharmacy pro- professionals listening. Uh, welcome, welcome. How are you? We're great. Thank you for having us, Nadia. Yeah, absolutely. So I want you each to kind of give a little bit of background first for those listeners who are not familiar with what you're doing um, for the pharmacy profession. Um <laughs> Kyle, did you want to go first? Sure. So it's great to be on this podcast and uh, really thank you for having us here today. Um, I am, I'm from Canada, uh, but I've been around a little bit. So I've been in the Middle East and then New Zealand and now back to Canada. And uh, upon coming back to Canada, I really recognize the need to improve the way that pharmacists uh, both practice as well as understand um, the issues that are facing LGBTQ people within pharmacy practice. And so uh, I've linked with Kevin, uh, which has been uh, a wonderful experience. And we've been doing some education initiatives together and learning from each other in terms of what we've done uh, in terms of curriculum development and actually bringing these concepts to education, uh, which has been, uh, again, a great experience and something that um, I think is hopefully valuable for students and and pharmacists as a whole. Um, But really my research program is in looking at um, lived experiences of the population and trying to understand how um, LGBTQ people experience pharmacy services. So uh, traditionally, LGBTQ people really tend to avoid healthcare settings uh, just due to maybe past perceived stigma or discrimination that exists within those settings. And uh, some recent results from a project that Kevin and I have worked on together is that that actually does transfer into pharmacy settings as well. So uh, we're trying to understand how we can better improve pharmacy service delivery for LGBTQ populations, but at the same time, try to understand how we can really address the needs of sexual health as a whole, not specific to LGBTQ, but for all populations within pharmacy practice. And so uh, we have a couple exciting projects on the go, and we're happy to talk more about those tonight. Yes, I'm excited to dive into that. All right. Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah. Um, so I am originally from Florida and I um, went and completed residency and kind of my first years of practice up in Alabama, um, primarily in the Mobile area on the Gulf Coast. Um, and just this last summer, came down to Tampa to join the University of South Florida. Um, and, you know, similar to Kyle, I've got a lot of education and research experience in um, LGBTQ sexual health um, and really trying to innovate, you know, how we're teaching our students to really provide optimal care for patients. And I think kind of where we diverge a little bit, Kyle has a lot of experience and practice on the, so the theoretical framework model. Um, and where I'm trying to focus is on the practical, um, you know, practicing pharmacist side of things. So, you know, we're trying to merge these two approaches of having a theory and framework in place. And then how do we operationalize that and really get kind of the boots on the ground pharmacists um, to be much, you know, I think what we can see in the pharmacy profession is that there's this want and desire to be providing culturally competent and um, affirming care. And so how do we get the tools in the hands of pharmacists um, both practicing and training uh, to be able to then provide the level of care that they want to provide. So that's really, I think, where a lot of our um, you know, future is going towards. And um, similar to Kyle, you know, by teaching and practicing in LGBTQ health, you know, sexual health as a whole comes up a lot. Um, and we find that a lot of educators and students are really uncomfortable talking about sexual health. And so um, that's something that I'm trying to do is really seeing, you know, how can we approach this from a sex positive way to really break down a lot of those barriers about, you know, talking about sex with patients and um, addressing their needs and concerns. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is why I have this podcast, because I feel like sex is always this taboo, not talked about thing. And we have to talk about it. It's important. We're in healthcare. Um, whether we like it or not, there's going to be topics that come up and it is important to be able to have conversations with our patients. Um, uh, we're, you know, we're it as far as free help goes, you know, for them to just be able to walk in and ask questions versus make an appointment with a doctor's office six months out. So it is really important. And what you're doing is even more important because you're educating the students and the future pharmacists and, you know, as far as the way the profession is going now, it's important for pharmacists that are already in it to stay on top of, you know, different medications, what's happening, what kind of conversations to not be afraid of having with patients. So it's so, so important. Um, so thank you for what you're doing. So tell me a little bit about your projects. I know that you have, you have some really interesting ones. So I think maybe I, I can start and um, talk about Kevin and I are, are quite collaborative and have a number of projects going on together. But uh, we really started just from doing a literature review, seeing what's out there, then moved into the lived experience space and trying to understand what the population's needs are in terms of sexual health. And we're really excited. I think this is the official launch of uh, an official announcement of our collaborative project, which I can get the title right, is Sex Store <laughs> Secrets, the intersection between clients' desires and modern pharmacy practice. Uh, I love it. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I talk about it, everyone's just like, wow, that like makes so much sense. I'm like, I know, why have we not thought about this before? But You're going to need um, a show on Netflix next. That's what you need next. <laughs> actually, it was inspired. And I'm not going to lie. It was inspired by TV shows like Sex Education yes. on Netflix and, and other places where 
Um, I think both Kevin and I have really observed that there's a need within the community, and by community, I mean general population, whether you're LGBTQ or heterosexual or whatever population you identify with, in order to get better information about sexual health. And um, it's interest, It's so interesting because as pharmacists, we sell these products. We sell products for sexual health. But I don't think we necessarily understand the nuances between different products. I don't think we understand how everyone is using these products. And I have specific examples I can talk about after. And alongside that, I think that there's a cohort of people that go to sex stores, which is a great resource, to be honest. Sex stores are, are, are wonderful resources. But those people who I've been liaising with in terms of this project might not feel qualified to talk about how to best use certain products or when to refer a patient to a healthcare professional if they were asked a question about a drug interaction or about chemsex or another different aspect related to sexual health. And so our goal with this project is really to find where that intersection is. So to bring curriculum, to bring, um, I think, education to the practicing workforce, as well as the um, training workforce of what we can do to better support these patients. In addition to what can we do as pharmacists to better support the sex store workforce? And how can we provide CPD or continuing education to that group in order to help them work with us to create those collaborative relationships to help these patients thrive. So um, that's the basis of this project. I know Kevin probably has more thoughts in terms of um, what's happening down uh, in Florida and other places in the United States as well. No, that's yeah, great. So, this project sounds awesome. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of my practice up until now has been in Alabama, which is the deep south of the United States where you know, we don't talk about sex. Um, that's not something that comes up a lot, but when um, my practice is in ambulatory care and I was at a family medicine clinic. So, you know, a lot of my patients I would see, I would start initiatives for sexual health and um, HIV prevention services. Um, but then also just talking with my you know, older patients um, to do medication management and um, diabetes management, and whatnot. You know, concerns about sexual health and well-being come up, and a lot of people, you know, don't know what they don't know. So they don't know, um, you know, how to even evaluate their own sexual health. Um, you know, how you know, safe sex is a concept that I think everyone assumes that you know, you learn when you're 15, 16, you know, 17, progressing through school, but you know, a lot of times that doesn't occur. So there are people out there who don't know about safe sex, don't know, you know, when to use condoms, um, how to properly use them. Um, common, you know, conversation that comes up in the pharmacy is talking about lubricants and what lubricants are safe to use with condoms and which aren't, um, which, you know, which might cause breakdown and um, lack of protection or um, what to use with different toys. Um, and so these conversations are really easy to have and, you know, really pharmacists can be extremely helpful and empowered to do that. It's just breaking down those barriers and beginning those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be so interesting to see what the, the, the sex store workers have to say. Um, just a random side note, when I was in pharmacy school, I worked for home novelty company to just to make some extra money because I thought it'd be fun and it was great. But that actually is what got me into wanting to do sex therapy and 
looking more into, you know, sexual health and wellness, because I'd get questions all the time from these women, mostly women, um, just about any, just so many different questions. And I really enjoyed helping them, you know, and educating them. And so this, this study is going to be so amazing. I'm really, really excited about it just because like, it's on a personal level for me, you know, I've, I've, I've seen all the questions that can come up. And I'm sure a lot of us pharmacists that are listening have had a lot of questions about lubricants, toys, how to clean toys, because the retail fronts are selling are selling sex toys also, uh, dilators, public dilators, things like that. So um, that's really, really important. Yeah, I agree. And it's I think it's just uh, the way that this project actually came to, to conception is um, I was on a um, a Zoom call with a group in in Halifax, so in Canada, where I live, and there was a, a person who works at a sex a sex store. It's more of a sex education library and, and sex store. Um, I was talking about all these different things that and different aspects that were coming up in terms of their their practice and their clientele. And I just started to think about all these parallel you know concepts that I thought, oh, this crosses over with pharmacy. And then they and I connected afterward. I'm just like, wow, there's such a synergistic um, uh, space here for us to collaborate and to try to understand how we can best support each other. And it's interesting because in terms of sex stores, sex stores aren't you know, a regula regulated profession. Um, sex stores offer advice as they can, but why can't pharmacists branch into that space? Why can't we support that space? And help you know a clients be workers actually um thrive in terms of the sexual health and you know you give a few examples but um i think one example that comes up so commonly and in some of the research that i've done within lived experience is even just as simple as pharmacists sell enema bulbs pharmacists sell douching equipment and um that they don't know that that might not just be for mm -hmm. conversation right uh, there's a whole world out there in both LGBTQ, heterosexual worlds of people abusing these equipment in order to, you know, facilitate sexual practices. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, um, and maybe it's just my perception, and maybe this is what we'll find, but um, uh, I could be proved wrong. But I feel like pharmacists as a whole might not be that um, confident in terms of providing advice or education to somebody who's looking for that product for that specific reason. Now, the other side of that is sometimes um, patients might come in um, seeking other types of products. So things like sodium bicarb enemas or things that actually um, have different um, actions on something that might be um, a little bit more inert. And it could be an opportunity to really intervene and provide that education. And what's fascinating is that in my, in my lived experience research project, this, the um, participants that I interviewed said that they're going for, to TikTok for that information. So, you know, how can, wow. how can we as a profession actually provide that education to patients because it's apparently needed and upskill ourselves and overcome that barrier of, I'm not sure what it is, but stigma um, or what, mm -hmm. whatever it is in order to actually support the population and, and having safe sex practices and using these products correctly um, in order to, you know, to really be safe and and um, um, to also relieve that anxiety of, you know, going up to the counter to purchase these things as well. Yeah, that's an excellent point. People are turning to social media. I even have um, 
talked with a lot of independent pharmacy owners about their social media also, you know, um, as far as getting the word out there to patients. So, because that's, that's a great outlet too, is to, you know, be able to share that information, but in the right way. I think looking at the other side of it, you know, there's so much that we can learn from the sex store workers. And there's also so many ways that we can help educate and provide them some tools to help the clientele and patients just in general. Um, so like think about the chemsex and the different supplements that are out there now, there's so many that people can take that either are, you know, derivatives of nitrates or, um, stimulants for endurance and, you know, all these different supplements out there that patients don't know if they're safe or not. And they think they might think, you know, well, this isn't the prescription Cialis or Viagra, you know, so it's going to be safe with my medications because only the prescriptions are to be concerned about, but you know, there's so many things that we can provide to sex store workers as well about, you know, patients are looking for these products. Here are some medications to screen for, you know, here are some reactions potentially that you can, you know, ask patients if they come in complaining about experiencing, mm -hmm. you know, it might not just be the product they're buying, but it might be a combination of their disease conditions, medications, all these other factors. Um, you know, and I don't think they get that kind of training. So I think there's so much collaboration there that can occur. Yeah, absolutely. There's also, you know, and I've seen a lot as far as all different supplements, even like with CBD, for example, all different types of things like that. And some things that aren't regulated and it is important for them to have conversation, you know, to be able to know and have conversations with the, with the people coming in. That is really important. I think that's like, especially important in modern times because we have such an emphasis on mental health. We're better treating mental health. Um, we have a lot more patients that are on mental health medications. And one of my findings from my um, pilot work with this study is that a lot of clients that are going to sex are asking about things like chemsex, as an example. So, um, which, you know, pretty much affects, um, you know, the brain and different, different mental health issues. And so I think to have sex store workers that are actually informed about, okay, you know, maybe, maybe asking one or two screening questions. It's like, okay, you know what, this is out of our scope. You need to go see a pharmacist or you need to go see your primary care provider, I think is so important because we're moving into a space where we have many more patients on medications, especially in the mental health space. Um, and we know that people are using um, different um, substances to enhance sex, um, uh, you know, as they progress through different phases of their life. And um, I think that we need to be aware of that, recognize that and support everyone who's working in that space to make sure that our patients are really safe and supported. Absolutely. I think yeah, what we've yeah. seen um, with like safe sex practices where if, you know, we really push this type of abstinence or avoidant behavior, you know, you can't engage in chemsex, it's dangerous. And that's just only going to push people away from coming to us for advice. So as pharmacists, it's really, you know, we need to educate ourselves on chemsex and how to safely counsel patients on it so that you know, they are comfortable to come and have these conversations and that we can engage in that because, you know, if we just have this approach of, no, that's not safe, you can't do that, patients are still going to be doing that and, you know, not heeding our advice or not seeking out advice if something goes wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's really important to know when to refer someone out to seek more medical help. That's the key for sure.
what are you finding in, at, you know, at, on the university level, as far as training with our students right now, future pharmacists, are they incorporating anything into the curriculum with, um, hormone, any type of like hormone blocking therapy, things like that, as far as, you know, as we've evolved more in the medical field with, um, transgender and that whole, uh, community of patients. Kevin, maybe if you want to start from the American perspective, and I can fill in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So in the United States, some of our more recent data is really not even recent anymore. Um, so what's actually published out there, you know, we have from the mid, you know, 2015 kind of era, is that it's not very prevalent. Um, and I think the study found about maybe 14, 15 percent of pharmacy schools included in the United States. I think we're seeing um, gender-affirming hormone therapy more widely included. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say 100% of programs. Um, it, the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, or ACCP, um, they have a toolkit for implementing pharmacy curriculum um, that has different disease states and different concepts and prioritized for what a practicing clinical pharmacist needs to know. Um, and gender affirming care, for example, is uh, level three or the lowest level based on this toolkit um, saying, you know, if you can fit it in, go ahead and do that, um, but don't make it a priority. And so, um, you know, something that I'm going to be looking at in the United States, I know Kyle's looking at in Canada, is seeing how is that being done? So, you know, is this something that's part of the core required curriculum? Is this something that's being introduced as elective opportunities or through, you know, guest speaker panels, through different organizational, you know, co-curricular events. Is it something that we're hoping students get exposure to on rotations? Um, because that's, you know, a catch-all when we look at our accreditation standards. Um, you know, we see, oh, well, they might be getting exposed to this in their clinical rotations. So that's going to meet the standard when that's really not the intent other standards. So um, hopefully we'll get a better idea that, you know, that it is being included appropriately. Um, you know, I can speak from my own experience. When I was with Auburn, I had an elective course. And so I had a two hour lecture dedicated to gender affirming hormone therapy. Um, so we discussed feminizing therapy, masculinizing therapy, um, puberty blockers for adolescent care. And we talked about all different levels in this and applied it back to patient care cases and had discussions about you know, how to um, assess patients for readiness for therapy, how to monitor um, kind of all the steps that go into starting patients on therapy. Um, and now at USF, I'm integrating it into our endocrine unit. Um, it'll be about an hour, hour and a half lecture. So a little bit refined, but I think, you know, we have a lot of other areas where we're touching on some of the um, fundamental and ground layer LGBTQ competence. So it'll really be focused purely on therapeutics at that point. I, I want I, to attend that lecture. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've learned from Kevin so much, honestly. Um, <laughs> the elective course he did really set the groundwork, honestly, internationally for all of us to take this forward. And um, I've taken the approach as I came back to Canada from New Zealand, of we're doing this core, we're doing it integrated. Everyone's going to get this because it needs to happen. And interestingly, what I have found is that as soon as that's been publicized, uh, other programs in Canada and around the world peak their ears 
it's going to become something that their creditors look at and it's going to be something that other programs are going to look to have so um, I know that that is a process that's going to happen hopefully in the United States and beyond um, I think the the big difficult really the, the difficulty right now is really looking at curricular hoarding and you know we have so much content in, in curricula to to look at so where does this fit but um, where I really encourage programs to to take a critical eye on is you know this is type of programming that can really influence patient care it can be life-saving in certain circumstances and it needs to be part of um, a pharmacist's um, education journey because once they graduate they will experience these patients in practice and need to have these skills and we hear that commonly from uh, pharmacists across the world to be honest we just hosted a webinar uh, talking about these curricular strategies and we had people from New Zealand up at 3 a.m. to come and try to, you know, understand what we're doing in different parts of the world. Wow. So I think that really shows that there's there's a great interest here um, and not just an interest, but, um, you know, when we look at different um, therapeutic areas or different um, uh, different concepts that we teach, I think that we're going to move more into social-based curricula and we need to address um, different populations and help to address health equity and health disparities uh, as we move forward um, in our pharmacy training programs. Yeah, I'm hoping to see more CE content and, you know, training sessions for pharmacists in the field now, since this is a whole new territory and it's, a, but it's so important for us to know and understand it. So tell me about any other things that you're doing right now. I know you have um, RX Share. And um, I know you have a lot of other projects that we could probably go on for a long time about. <laughs> I think um, I think in terms of project, Kevin hit it really on the head in terms of I'm the theory guy and he's the practical guy, which is why I think we work so well together. So um, I work a lot with theory to try to understand what system factors we can address uh, from professional organizations or from uh, chain management, as an example. Um, to create more inclusive and affirmative um, pharmacy spaces uh, for patients to be in. And this doesn't just center on the LGBTQ population, it centers on anyone who might feel anxiety about, see, about seeing a healthcare professional. Um, I have anxiety when I see healthcare professionals, and even though I'm very strong in my you know, identity as someone as the LGBTQ population, I think that it's not just me, it's my mom, it's my dad, it's, you know, lots of different people um, out there have, have those feelings. And so I like to look at things from a theoretical point of view. And also to try to understand how pharmacists can work at a full scope. So uh, we have a number of projects here about prescribing, uh, for instance, in terms of pharmacists taking that over uh, within Canada. Um, that seems to be getting traction and then now branching into the STI diagnosis and prescribing space. So um, some demonstration projects there. And I think this is really the route for pharmacists to better support sexual health for patients. And I know that there's regulations in different states and provinces and countries, um, but uh, a way to hopefully look forward where we can not just provide education and advice, but really make decisions and that impact care in an environment where patients are feeling comfortable and uh, confident that they're receiving the best care. Um, and so Kevin's taught me a lot about um, that practical side of things. And I know he has a lot of um, different projects going on in that space too. 
and likewise, I've learned so much from Kyle about theoretical models and theory, you know, just theories in general, because, you know, I've had these thoughts and I, you know, I've had my own lived experience. Um, and I think that's, you know, where his basis is and lived experiences. Um, you know, I've had my experience with healthcare avoidance with, um, a big theory we talk about is the minority stress model or minority stress theory and how that's affected, you know, my progression through healthcare and, um, even just kind of misdiagnosis or underdiagnosis of different health disparities that we see in the LGBT community. So that's really kind of what spurs a lot of, you know, what I want to do is really address in the health system is looking, you know, a lot of people have gotten to this point where their tolerance is probably the right word. It might be better words, but looking at, you know, tolerance towards sexual and gender minorities and the fact that, you know, we don't need to talk about it because I'm not going to treat you any less based on your sexual orientation or gender identity when there's so many of these health disparities that exist in this community. And so we really need providers to be having these conversations to identify the health disparities so that, you know, we can treat them and get to system changes to really, you know, address these before they, um, manifest into that health disparity that they are. Absolutely. Now, as far as for our pharmacists listening and healthcare professionals, what are some good resources you recommend as far as educating, uh, you know, educating ourselves on, on the hormone blocking therapy, for example, or just sex toy questions, lubricant questions, what are some good places you would recommend for them to look at? So I would say um, in the United States, we have a few specific resources. Um, there's a really good resource from a collaboration between APHA and the Human Rights Campaign, so HRC. Um, that's a guidebook for pharmacists on how to provide um, affirming care for transgender patients. Um, so that's a really good kind of starting point as far as getting into therapeutics um, and really staying up to date with evidence-based practice. Um, there's a few guidelines that are available. So um, University of California, San Francisco, so UCSF provides excellent guidelines. Um, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, WPATH, um, is actually coming out their latest version of the guidelines this week. Um, so that's going to be the most up-to-date, um, most evidence-based and holistic practice for um, all gender-affirming care. Um, so those are available. By the time this is published, they'll be out. Um, and then the Endocrine Society has some good resources. Um, you know, I really encourage for pharmacist listeners um, to really, you know, take the onus on themselves to review the literature, um, see what's out there. You know, I know there's a big call right now for some, um, you know, randomized control trials and primary literature. And I think, you know, those are, a pipe dream. And I think that's something that we would love to see, but, um, based on ethics and, um, you know, how that would get approved right now, that's not necessarily the most feasible. So, you know, using the different research methodology that we have to get robust data, you know, it might not be randomized controlled trial data, but that's not the, you know, the only acceptable form of data. So looking at what's available and really reviewing that critically and seeing, um, you know, there's excellent data out there for the efficacy of um, gender affirming care and um, you know, puberty blockers and um, just the role of this, these therapies. 
um, and how to be informed as a pharmacist to really counsel our patients and support our patients that need this care. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in on Kevin's point. So I'm literally about to go teach tomorrow. Um, we're back in class now. I'm kind of a bit delayed from the States, I think. Um, I teach critical appraisal, so literature evaluation. And one of the things I really hit home with students is that, yes, we want the big trials. We want the meta-analyses. We want the systematic reviews and RCTs. But that does not always happen when we have special I don't want to say special populations, but populations that have you know um, specific needs. And one thing I've learned in my research and looking at lived experiences is that uh, this field, uh, especially in terms of gender affirmation, and even um, you know working with people who are sexually diverse, is that those RCTs are probably not relevant to that population as a whole, and it's really individualized care that we need to go for. So there may be criticism out there that there might not be an RCT or that there might be side effects of a certain medication or that effectiveness isn't necessarily true. But that conversation needs to happen with that patient, their caregivers, and their healthcare professional. And they need to look at the best evidence available that is most relevant to them. And I think that um, you know, we're, we're in a world where we really focused on that EVM, which is great, but when we look at these different populations, and we've seen it with race-based things as well, um, it's not necessarily um, the way to go, um, or not necessarily the way to go, but we need to look at other alternatives um, and to try to understand how we can adapt um, evidence that might not be what we are ideally after to help care for our patients. The other thing I'll, I'll add to that really quickly is that um, I don't think there's a good reference for different types of lubes. You said that as a... As I a know, question. right? And I swear, <laughs> even me, I'm just like, what, you know, what lubes are better for which type of sex? Mm -hmm. And we need that. We need our, our people who are making these references. You know, let's talk about lube. Let's talk about wedges and different products for patients who have disabilities and sex. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about douching. Let's talk about all of these things so that our patients, um, our, our trainees, our pharmacists can all learn and literally just receive better care all around. Absolutely. I mean, maybe we should create one then. We'll have to create, <laughs> you know? We're on board. We're on board. <laughs> <laughs> We've had talks about how to um, write a paper on lube, so might as well just have a handbook on lubricants. Right? Yeah. No, it's so it's so important. Those are so such good points too with what you were saying about what what to look for in research and and everything like that. Um, as far as I always like to ask, I say like top three. So top three takeaways for our pharmacy listeners as far as conversations they should be having um, or anything that you can think of as far as topics, like top three topics that you see you've been seeing that come up? Um, I think for me, it is think outside the box. So if you have somebody coming up asking you how to use an enema bulb, don't assume they're using that for constipation. Um, try to understand what your population needs are as a whole. Um, Oh, I'm on the spot for three. I know. I always put everywhere. <laughs> um, it doesn't so have to be three, but you know. <laughs> I have a second. I have a second. Number okay. two would be don't shy away from 
what we would consider to be topics we might not talk about previously. So the one that comes to mind is chemsex. Um, mm -hmm. This is a reality in all populations, um, not just LGBTQ, all populations. Um, people are having are using chemicals in order to enhance sexual practices. And we need to understand this as pharmacists because it can have major, not major, maybe major, but it can definitely have implications for drug interactions, especially um, uh, with more and more patients um, on medications specifically for mental health. So um, those would be my my two. I'm not going to give you a third, but those would be my No, two. I love that. That's great. That's excellent. I'll go ahead and say, um, read between the lines. And so if you have a patient that's telling you, you know, that either they're not satisfied or they're, you know, they're kind of vaguely complaining about something that might be related to their sex health, be open to asking that and, you know, try to, you know, pick up on these hints and don't shy away from them because for patients, it's uncomfortable for them to be experiencing, um, you know, whatever it is they're experiencing. So they don't, they'd rather not talk about it. So, you know, opening the door for that conversation. What's a common think, question you get from your students? Literally the most common question I get is what lube is better for anal sex from students, from patients, from yeah. the whole. So um, I think that that's, again, I teach STIs in, um, uh, in my program. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think that, yeah, um, we need to, again, have these conversations. I was just uh, presenting at a conference in Canada. It's kind of our equivalent to AACP, it was called Super. And I sat out there and I was just like, I've never said anal sex so much in my <laughs> life. I was trying to get all these points across and everyone laughed, but then the feedback was, wow, like we really actually need to talk about these conversations. Um, mm -hmm. As Kevin alluded to previously, like you know, condoms and, and toys in particular, lubes and toys, right, are, are a major issue. So um, we need to we need to really start to think about these things. We're selling these products and you know, we need to uh, make sure that it's in a, in a safe way and that our, our patients and, and our clients that are actually purchasing them are well informed in terms of how to appropriately use them. Such excellent points, yes. So as I, far as, oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say probably the, um, yeah, the top question I'll get from students is just how to actually have these conversations in a controlled, whether it's a lab environment or a classroom environment, it's really easy to simulate conversations. And it you know, becomes a lot of a joke in class. Um, you know, but the students are, you know, how does this actually translate to patient care? And you know, my advice is always have the conversation. You you don't have to ask every patient at your pharmacy, you know, are you sexually pleased? Are you happy with your sex life? Or are you having any issues with your sex life? But it's easy to have these conversations for patients that are either alluding to it or, you know, looking for a product to enhance their sex life to, to have those conversations to make sure they're having a safe and healthy sex life. Oh, this is like such good stuff that we've talked about today. I'm, I'm so excited to see what else you have in the pipeline and, and the outcomes of the, these uh, research projects that you're doing is it's, it really is going to be life-changing for a lot of people. So I'm really excited that, you're able to share it on this podcast and share it to our fellow pharmacists and other healthcare professionals listening and other non-healthcare professionals that will listen to this too. Um, as far as how to find you, um, how would you, you know, do you have any website or any type of, I know you have your RX share information also, if you want to share that with 
um, our listeners? Yeah, so we, um, Kevin and I, um, it all started from a suite, that, that's our tagline, um, but we do have a global collective of um, educators, practitioners, uh, as well as advocates, and both identifiers and allies working within the LGBTQ space, and largely that consists of people who are working within the sexual health space as well. Uh, it's called RX Share, um, and you can find us on Twitter at, at @rxshare. Uh, and um, we would be very much happy to um, link with you, uh, link with your listeners. And if you are interested in joining us, um, we just ask that you send us a DM on Twitter or get in touch with Kevin or myself, uh, and we'll make sure that you're on the mailing list. Um, our website's in development um, at, the, at the moment, but uh, we do run a series of webinars uh, throughout the year. Uh, we just completed one on education, but we're going to have a casual follow-up um, conversation about that in October that Kevin's arranging, and then moving into the practice space in December. So uh, we're both very active in the space in terms of education and research, and are always looking for uh, like-minded individuals to bounce ideas off of, collaborate, and uh, really create those connections that we need to, to move this work forward. That's awesome. So to get on to the webinars, do, will they follow, when, is the information on the Twitter, the Twitter page, as far as like when you have an upcoming webinar, when you announce it? Yeah, so we'll be um, sending out tweets with registration links um, as it gets closer. Um, you can also reach out to us on email. Our email is rxshare1 at gmail.com. Um, unfortunately, rxshare at gmail is already taken and we couldn't oh. get any. Um, other platforms, but yeah, RxShare one. If you reach out to there, um, we can get you on our mailing list as well. Um, if Twitter is not your space, um, we'll like I said, we'll have an informal kind of gathering next month, and then December will be our next webinar on um, transforming what we've talked about in the education space to practice. Um, so it's gonna be a great talk, especially for you know all the practicing pharmacists listening. We're gonna cover all the different practice settings and um, hopefully provide some good information for y'all. Yeah, I want to attend it myself. That's awesome. <laughs> Love it. And I'll include that, you know, we'll have it in the show notes as far as that information that you gave us. And yeah, looking forward to seeing what else is in store next with, with you both. It was amazing having you on. I'm just so happy that I was able to share your wealth of information with everybody because this is such an important, such an important topic, you know, so... We need to do better as, as healthcare professionals. And, and so this is a way to do it. So great. Thank well, thank you so much for coming on. I know you have a lot of other things going on, but um, I'm very, very excited for this to come out. And I know our listeners will love it. Thank you very much. Uh, I never thought I'd be um, working in this space probably 10 years ago, but uh, <laughs> it's so important and so impactful that we really appreciate the, the space to be able to share what we're doing and uh, your support. So thank you very much. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you on. Yeah, it's great to connect with you and get to talk with you tonight. Look forward to thank future you. conversations. Thank you.